Well, good morning, and uh, I am glad to be back. I feel like I should reintroduce myself. Uh, I've been gone for a few weeks. Uh, Our family was on vacation, and then uh, last week I was over at our Anderson campus preaching there. But I'm delighted to be back with you this morning. Uh, We're going to continue our series on the big ideas of the Bible. We're going to continue our series by talking about angels, the topic of angels. So uh, we've covered a lot of ground this summer. We're going to cover a lot of ground this morning because this is a giant topic. I was thinking as I was preparing this week how when I was a junior in college, my mom and I went to Illinois. We took my brother to Illinois to drop him off to begin a graduate program at the University of Illinois. And on the way back home from that trip, my mom said, you know, since we're driving through Missouri, do you mind if we stop at the Precious Moments Chapel and Museum? Now, uh, I had never been there. In fact, it was not on the list of places I planned to go in my life. And uh, as I suspected, I was the only college guy at the Precious Moments Chapel that day. Uh, If you don't know about Precious Moments, they have made a large business out of selling figurines and books and drawings of small children in various precious moments. That's what they do. Uh, It's not the type of place that as a college guy, you're just suddenly one Friday afternoon going to say, hey guys, road trip? Precious Moments Chapel, let's do it, right? And go. So, But because I was with my mom, I decided why not? And so we stopped at this chapel, which is based off of the Sistine Chapel in Rome, and except instead of you know, these huge images painted by Michelangelo of biblical scenes. What it is, is on the ceilings and along the walls are biblical scenes with children in the roles of biblical characters like Abraham and Moses and uh, the apostles. And what struck me about the Precious Moments Chapel uh, actually was the angels. The angels look basically like this. Here's a Precious Moments angel. Uh, His name is Timmy, and uh, he's, as you can tell, holding a blanket. His wings are a bit patched, and I've never seen this film. I don't know why he's talking to the bunny. I'm not sure. But uh, as I saw the, the angels depicted, I couldn't help but think it is somewhat less impressive of an image than the images of angels that we get in the Scripture. Uh, I couldn't help but reflect a bit on what if in critical biblical passages, instead of the angels that actually did show up, we saw Timmy, right? So uh, in Luke 2, when the angels show up to proclaim the coming of the Messiah, the shepherds are afraid. In fact, it says they're sore afraid and they tremble. And I have to think it would have gone differently if the angel had shown up and said, hey guys, I'm, I'm Timmy, right? And, uh, and Jesus is here, right? It, just, it would have had a different feel to the entire passage, And I realize I'm picking on precious moments a bit, uh, but precious moments certainly is not the only artistic group to present angels in a way different from the scriptures. Some of the more popular angels that I thought of this week from movies and TV shows, uh, I thought I'd share some of them with you this morning. Of course, I thought of Clarence from It's a Wonderful Life, that classic movie that is on on every channel a hundred times every Christmas. Clarence is an angel trying, of course, to earn his wings, and uh, he's kind of a rumpled, bumbling old man. 
He has a good heart, but not a whole lot of power behind that heart, right? That's Clarence, and that's a pretty typical image of angels. Uh, One of the others that I thought of, uh, this is a more disturbing portrait of an angel in a movie. This is John Travolta playing the archangel Michael. And I actually really hesitated about whether even to show this because it really bothers me a lot every time I see this picture. He is a smoking, drinking, profane angel who is on vacation to earth and he dispenses interesting advice to people along the way. Uh, That is another way in which angels are portrayed is they're more human than divine. And then, of course, uh, no discussion of angels in our culture would be complete without this one. Uh, Michael Landon from Highway to Heaven. I realize some of you see this and you're like, no, that actually is, that's a real angel, right? You're like, when I die, Michael Landon will escort me to heaven. I know it, right? Uh, his face became deeply intertwined in our culture with the concept of an angel, Right? Uh, in the show, he's an angel who is on probation for some reason. I can't remember why. And he's trying to help people and sort of earn his favor with God again to get back into heaven. So he travels down the highway with a human friend and he helps people. Right? So all kinds of depictions of angels pop up in our culture. And I was thinking about that this week because I thought, you know, we really are fascinated by angels. Uh, but we also don't understand a whole lot about them. We don't understand a whole lot about what the Scripture says about who angels are, but I think we're fascinated with them because we really all want to believe that God intervenes in the affairs of humanity. And we recognize that angels are one of the primary ways in which God intervenes in the affairs of humanity. So we feel comforted, and rightly so, by the idea that there are angels around us, as Wes just talked about during worship, that God has messengers who are powerful and who are mighty, messengers who protect his people, who speak to his people, who operate according to God's purposes in the world. We're fascinated with angels. When I first started thinking about the topic earlier this week, I had to confess to my wife that I was struggling with the sermon because at first glance I thought, you know, I don't know uh, what to say about why angels matter. I really was struggling to care deeply about this topic, and I know that sounds odd and that's a terrible confession coming from the pastor, Uh, but I really struggled with the topic, and I think part of it is I did not want to think of myself, I've never wanted to think of myself as one of those people who attributes everything that happens to either an angel or a demon, right? So they had the ice cream I wanted at H-E-B, praise God, the angels put it there for me, right? We've all known people like that. I'm stuck in traffic, it must be a demon, right? And so, so I think also we're a little bit afraid to talk about angels because we don't want to be viewed as a little weird. But as I look at the scripture, I cannot get around the fact that angels show up all the time. I mean, they show up all the time in scripture. That was the other challenging part of this message was actually, how do I even narrow this topic down into something that is clear and meaningful? Because the volume of information about angels in the Bible is enormous. And I think the reason is because God wants us to know that 
his angels communicate truth about his character that we need to be reminded of. When we understand who the angels are and what the angels do, we actually understand some things about God himself that he wants us to know. And so as we look at the topic of angels this morning, here's what I want us to keep in mind. Angels remind us, first of all, that God is great. They remind us that God is great. Why is that? Because angels, there are angels that spend their lives doing nothing but worshiping God. They spend their lives doing nothing but worshiping God because of how great he is. Angels remind us that God loves us because he cares about the affairs of humanity. And so he sends angels at critical times in history to talk to his people. Angels remind us that God will win because we'll talk a little bit about spiritual warfare and a conflict between the angels who are still serving God and those angels who have chosen to rebel against God. And what we'll see is that there is spiritual warfare and spiritual warfare is real, but God will win. And so as we look at the topic of angels, we see God is great. God loves us. God will win. And, and so what we'll do this morning is we'll talk about who are the angels what do they do? And then lastly, why should we care? Who are the angels? What do they do? Why should we care? I want to begin then with who are they? Who are the angels? Here's who angels are, and we're going to break this uh, statement down into its parts, but fundamentally, angels are powerful spirit beings created by God to worship and serve him. Angels are powerful spirit beings created by God to worship and serve him. Let me break that down into its components. First of all, angels are powerful. Uh, Wherever we see the angels in scripture, they really are not like Timmy, the precious moments angel. Uh, They're strong. They're shiny. They're powerful. They move quickly. They frighten people most of the time when they show up. In fact, the scripture is very explicit that we are not as strong as the angels. Look at the book of Hebrews for a moment. Instead, someone testified somewhere. Now, this quote comes from Psalm 8. What is man that you think of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him lower than the angels for a little while. You crowned him with glory and honor. In other words, uh, the author of Hebrews and also the uh, writer of Psalm 8, David, says, listen, you have made humanity crowned with glory and honor, but for a while we are actually lower than the angels. The angels shine with more of God's glory at the moment than we do. The angels are more powerful at the moment than we are. Angels are strong and mighty and powerful. Right, when God removed Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden because of their sin. He banished them from the Garden. And Genesis 3 tells us this. It said, So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Cherubim quite often show up in contexts where something needs to be guarded, right? And so uh, God placed these angels around the Garden of Eden with a flaming sword. And here's why, because he knew that as long as those angels were there, people could not get back into the garden because angels are stronger, right? And if you see a cherubim with a flaming sword, just don't try to get past him. Because, yeah, you got it. All right. Because they are strong. 
They are powerful. They are mighty. In the book of Revelation, we actually see angels holding back the four winds of the earth. Revelation chapter 7, after this, John says, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth so that no wind would blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. That's how strong they are. Right, go outside in a thunderstorm and try to hold back the wind and see if you stand a chance. Right, so the angels are strong and they're mighty and they're powerful creations of God. And this is why typically when they show up to present a message and if they show up in all of their glory, people freak out. As you look at Luke chapter 2, which we've mentioned, when the angels show up to talk to the shepherds, uh, the King James Version says they were sore afraid. All right, I love that phrasing. It sounds like they're so afraid. It, it hurts. And the first thing the angel has to say is, don't be afraid. I'm bringing you good news. Don't be afraid. All right, in Matthew 28, when Jesus rises from the dead, the angels show up. And you know what happens to the guards? They pass out. They're so afraid. In fact, it says they fell down and they were like dead men. They had to be revived. Same thing actually happens to Daniel in Daniel chapter 8. The angel Gabriel, one of God's chief angels, chief messengers, shows up. And uh, Daniel says, I saw Gabriel and I was so afraid I began to tremble. And then Gabriel begins to talk and Daniel says, and I fell down like a dead man. Right? Gabriel has to come over and go, wake up. I've got a vision for you. That's how big and powerful they are when they show up in all of their glory. Now, what's interesting is sometimes they don't show up in that type of shiny, bright glory. An angel appeared, for example, to Abraham before God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and the angel just looked like another guy. Sometimes they veil their glory, but when they show up in all their glory, they're powerful and impressive to behold. Right? So angels are powerful, but angels are also created by God. They're powerful, they're enormous, they're shiny, they're impressive, but they're still created by God. And as such, they are subservient to God. Many of you have no doubt seen the old Disney movie, Aladdin. Uh, Aladdin course, has a character voiced by the late Robin Williams, the genie. You remember when the genie comes out of a lamp and he's big and he's strong and he's powerful and he can uh, conquer any person and he can grant any wish, but what's his Achilles heel? He's subservient to whoever holds the lamp, right? So uh, there's a famous line from the movie where he says, I have phenomenal cosmic powers and an itty bitty living space, right? Because he can be controlled by whoever holds that lamp. All that power under service to humanity. Right? When we look at angels in the scripture, there's all of this power. But they're subservient to God because God created them. So Psalm 148 says, praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For he commanded and they were created. God spoke the angels into existence so that the angels have to obey God. This is particularly important when we talk about the theme of spiritual warfare and when we talk about those angels who have rebelled against God because sometimes we are tempted to give Satan a whole lot 
of credit and authority in our minds, as if he can read our minds, as if he can control us in any way that he wants. But the reality is when you look at the biblical picture, because Satan is nothing more than a fallen angel, a fallen creation of God, what is striking is that Satan does nothing apart from God's permission. Uh, At the beginning of the book of Job is one of the most fascinating depictions of satanic activity in all of the scripture. And what I notice about it is it says Satan has to come before God just like all the other angels and present himself to God. It's like a periodic inspection of the angels. And even Satan and the demons have to show up. And he says, Satan, where have you been? And he says, oh, just, you know, roaming about the earth, going to and fro. And God says, have you considered Job? And he says, oh yeah, Job is great, but would he be great if he didn't have all this money and all these houses? uh, And I want to hurt Job. And then Satan essentially has to say, hey, hey God, is it okay if I go hurt Job? And God says, okay, I'll let you do that. Because ultimately this will result in my glory. Not even the most powerful demon can operate without God's permission. God created the angels. God rules the angels. They're subservient to him. And so one danger I think we face when we talk about angels is to ascribe to them a level of authority and power that is out of proportion with who they actually are. And we often see that in our culture, again, particularly when it comes to demons and evil angels. God is in control. They're powerful creatures created by God. They are spirit beings as well. And what I mean by that is they don't exist primarily on a physical plane. We don't typically see them like we see other people because they are spiritual beings. They live in the presence of God who is spirit, and they also are spirit. Now, often they choose to manifest, again, in a human form. But for the most part, we don't see them because they are spiritual. That's what we mean when we talk about a spiritual battle around us, is that there are angels and demons we cannot see involved in God's creation. So the book of Hebrews says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? Right? When we talk about spiritual warfare, Ephesians chapter 6 says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So they're powerful spiritual beings. One of the most astounding scriptural passages about angels to me happens in 2 Kings, when the prophet Elisha is surrounded by the forces of of the king of Syria. The king of Syria comes to capture Elisha because Elisha has been giving prophecy to the king of Israel. And Syria wants to destroy Israel, so he says, I've got to capture their prophet. And so Elisha wakes up and he goes outside and they're surrounded by the forces of Syria. And Elisha's servant is with him and he goes, what are we going to do? And I love Elisha's response. He goes, you know what? Don't worry. The ones who are with us are greater than the ones who are with them. And you can just see the servant kind of looking around going, what ones? It's you and me, bud, right? There's a lot of them and there's two of us. And then Elisha prays and he says, God, open his eyes so that he can see. And all of a sudden, this servant can see thousands of horses and chariots surrounding them in the mountains around them. God's angels there 
ready to fight for God's prophet. I love the imagery and I love the story because it demonstrates to us that God's angels exist, I do believe, all around us in the spiritual realm. They only choose to manifest when God says, I have a message I want to send. So angels are powerful spiritual beings created by God to worship and serve him. Before we move on to what they do, I want to make a couple of other quick points about who the angels are. First of all, they have a hierarchy among them. In the book of Jude, verse 9, Jude writes that uh, there is an archangel named Michael. An archangel, that essentially means he is over the other angels. You also see Gabriel, who seems to be one of the chief messengers of God. In Ephesians chapter 6 and Ephesians chapter 1, even in the midst of the demons, we see a hierarchy. There are rulers and authorities and principalities. They have a hierarchy among them. And so some angels are more powerful than other angels. We also know this, that some angels have rebelled against God. That's what we call the demons. That is who Satan is. Some of them have rebelled against God, and as a consequence, they are awaiting the judgment of God and eventually will be cast into the lake of fire, separated from God and his people forever. Book of Jude, verse 6, says, Angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. And then in the book of Revelation, we see their judgment. There was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough. Michael is stronger. There was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And then at the end of the book of Revelation, God takes Satan and his angels, and he casts all of them into the lake of fire. And they have rebelled against God because they believe they can win. But what we see is that they cannot win. God wins. But in the meanwhile, what do Satan and his angels primarily do? They tempt and they lie. They accuse God's people of being hopeless, out of his grace and love. And they lie. In fact, Jesus says that Satan is the father of lies. How did he get Adam and Eve to sin and turn away from God? He lied to them. He said, God is not concerned with your best interests. He's trying to hide something from you. I think when we talk about the devil, and demons. There's a couple of errors we can make. One is to take him too lightly. Uh, Again, our culture tends to do this. All of us have uh, seen images like this. This is uh, Homer Simpson, and he's got a little angel on one shoulder and a little devil on the other shoulder. This is a very common uh, type of portrayal. It's actually called a shoulder angel, a shoulder devil in literature or in film. And uh, usually that little shoulder devil is dressed like this in a red suit with a trident in his hand. And he doesn't normally do anything too bad, right? He might convince you to take a nap when you really ought to be working. He might convince you to eat that extra cookie when you know you should not, right? And we tend to take him lightly. Where the scripture says, First Peter 5 tells us that the devil actually prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And the way he does it is he tells us lies. 
He says, sin will be sweeter to you than the love of God. See, I think the other mistake we make is to sensationalize the devil. In movies like The Exorcist or movies about demons, And we convince ourselves that the devil's primary work is this sensationalistic possessing of people, throwing pots and pans around the room, and all kinds of crazy manifestations. And it's not that those things never happen, but that's not primarily how the devil leads us astray. He leads us astray through convincing us that God is not good. God cannot be trusted. He lies. So some of the angels have rebelled against God, right? But the good news as we look at the scripture is that uh, God wins, right? Angels are powerful spirit beings, but they're created by God and they worship and serve him. And they are not stronger than the God who made them. That's who angels are. So what do they do? What do they do? As I, as I was looking at uh, the topic of what they do this week, uh, fundamentally what struck me is, Uh, Angels do a lot. Uh, You and I probably woke up yesterday morning with a list of things to do. I woke up and I thought, I've got to mow the lawn. Uh, We've got to clean a little bit of the house. Uh, There's a couple of things I need to fix. I had a list of things to do. But then uh, because this sermon was on my mind, I thought, you know, I don't have anything compared to Gabriel. Uh, As you read through the scripture, you get the impression that the angels are incredibly busy. Uh, One of my favorite passages about uh, Gabriel that I talked about for a moment earlier is in the book of Daniel. Daniel is praying that God will uh, reveal to him what he has in store for the nation of Israel. And finally, after Daniel's been praying for days and days and days, uh, Gabriel shows up and Gabriel essentially uh, says the reason he couldn't make it before, he says, it took me a while to get here, but it's because I was fighting the prince of Persia, uh, this demonic prince. And I had to get Michael to come help me so that I could come over here and talk to you. But as soon as I'm done talking to you, I got to go back and fight the Prince of Persia. And by the way, the Prince of Greece is now involved too. And if you read the book of Luke, Gabriel actually flies around and he he talks to Zechariah and then he talks to Joseph and Mary and he moves around proclaiming the coming of Jesus, constantly on the move, constantly busy. And the reason I bring that up is because I cannot describe this morning everything we see angels do in the scriptures because there's too much. But I want to break it into a few categories. And the first thing they do is this, they worship God. They worship God. Look at the book of Revelation chapter 4. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night, they do not cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. Think about this for a minute. This is an extremely repetitive song. Day and night, day after day. Week after week. Uh, Some of us grew up hearing a a little song that went like this. This is the song that never ends, right? Goes on and on, my friends. Somebody started singing without knowing what it was. Now we'll sing forever and ever just because this is the song that never ends, right? And it just keeps going on. Maybe your kids have sung that in the car on the way home from vacation, and you say, The song ends now, right? 
A few of us at times have been perhaps uh, in some angst when we sing modern worship choruses because we say they're too repetitive. They say the same thing over and over and over again. And my response to that is then do not go into the throne room of God because you will hear this song over and over and over. There's no new verses. There's no new words. And it never stops day and night Week after week, month after month, year after year, on into eternity, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Holy, 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 over and over and over again. In fact, Isaiah sees something very similar in his vision of the throne room of God. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim, that's a a word that means the burning ones, the bright and burning angels, stood above him, each having six wings, and with two he covered his face. Why? Because he cannot look directly at the holiness of God. With two he covered his feet. Why? Because feet are often seen as dirty, and so he covers his feet, and with two he's got to have a couple left to fly around. And one called out to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And they have this call and response song. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy. And they say it over and over and over again. They exist to do nothing but worship God. Think about that for a moment. What does that say about the significance of the worship of God? That he has made these creatures that do nothing but say he's holy, he's set apart, he's greater than us, he's greater than humanity, he's greater than anything in existence. Holy, 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 all day long, forever. So they worship God. They also carry God's messages. As you look throughout the word of God, you see that often when God has an important message, in fact, almost always, When God has an important message, he sends angels. Why does he send angels? Well, one reason is because if God himself showed up to deliver the message, we would die, right? So uh, God would show up and say, I have something to tell you. Oh, you're dead. I guess I'll tell you in heaven, right? So he sends the angels because their glory is not as bright as his and it won't kill us. But I think he also sends the angels because they are impressive and they are bright and people see angels and they say, that is a messenger from God. They, they carry authority, right? Think about it this way. Parents, have you ever sent one of your children to deliver a message to the other children? A message like, it is time for you to clean your room. How does that go? Right? The one child walks into the other child and says, uh, Dad says it's time to clean the room. And you can hear the other children go, no, he didn't. Right? I don't believe you. Because you are simply one of us. Right? <laughs> you are not authorized to carry that level of message into this room. And you hear it from the other room and you think, I'm going to have to send another ambassador, aren't I? So maybe you send your spouse. Can you go in there and tell them? Maybe they'll listen to a babysitter. Maybe. God sends angels because I think often if it's simply another person, we say, why would I listen to you? 
And so what you see throughout the scripture is that angels carry messages that are extremely important. Let me offer a few examples at the commissioning of Moses, sorry, the commissioning of Moses at the burning bush says the angel of the Lord appears to him in the burning bush to say, Moses, go deliver my people from Egypt. At the giving of the law, Acts chapter 7 tells us that the law is mediated to the people by angels. At the birth of Jesus and of course the resurrection of Jesus, which we've mentioned already, And then the expansion of the gospel in Acts 10, an angel actually appears to Peter and says, I am going to expand the good news of the death and resurrection of Jesus beyond the Jews to the Gentiles. They give important messages. And what strikes me about these messages here is that one of the places in Scripture where we see angels most frequently is when the gospel comes into play. It's striking that perhaps the most important message God wants to communicate comes through the agency of the angels. That the angels communicate the Messiah has come into the world. They communicate Jesus has risen from the dead and sin is defeated. They communicate that God is reaching out to the world and all Jew or Gentile who believe in him can have eternal life. I don't know where you are spiritually this morning. But one thing I want to communicate this morning is this, that it is striking in the Scripture that the message of the death of Jesus for our sins and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is what God deemed the most important, significant message that he could send the angels to give us. If you don't know God through Jesus Christ, the message this morning is that in every way, Hebrews says it, through angels, through his word, and then through his son, God is communicating, you can have life if you trust in Jesus. And so the angels carry these deeply important messages. So they worship God. They carry God's messages, and then they serve God's people. They serve God's people. We do see the angels ministering to Jesus at numerous times, like during his temptation and after his temptation in the wilderness. We see them ministering to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he is wrestling with the weight of going to the cross. It says he began to sweat drops of blood and the angels came and they ministered to Jesus. We also see them throughout Scripture ministering to people like you and me so that at times the angels are said to protect God's people. Psalm Chapter 91, he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands that you do not strike your foot against a stone. I want to be careful. This is not a blanket promise that uh, you will never die if the angels are around you. But it is a statement that God uses angels to direct and protect his people because he cares. It's not a statement that says every Christian has a guardian angel like we see in movies, but instead that we often see the cherubim in Scripture guarding the things of God, including at times God's people. They protect and they also answer prayer. They respond on God's behalf. I've already spoken about Daniel 9 when the angel Gabriel comes to give a response from God. Uh, Acts chapter 12 is one of the more amusing passages to me in the scripture. Peter is in prison and the church is praying for Peter's deliverance. 
And an angel shows up uh, to wake up Peter from his prison cell. And one of the funny things about the passage is initially Peter doesn't wake up. And so the angel actually kicks him, right, to get him up. And he wakes him up. He leads him out of the cell. He leads him into the street. And then the angel disappears. And so Peter goes to the house where the church is praying and he knocks on the door. The servant girl shows up and there's Peter. And she goes and tells the prayer group, hey, Peter's at the door. And they go, hey, we're praying for Peter. Shh. They say, no, he's at the door. Finally, they go and they see that through an angel, God has answered their prayer. The prayer they were praying right then, God answered. And so God uses angels to protect his people. God uses angels to respond to prayer. So as we look at angels in the scripture, those really are the primary things that we see God doing through the angels. They worship God. They carry God's messages. They serve God's people. So briefly then as we close, why should we care? Why should we care? Let me offer a few thoughts. First of all, Angels remind us to worship God. As we said earlier, if there are angels designated to do nothing but worship him, that speaks to the significance and the priority of worship. Some of you know this, some of you do not. I used to uh, be the uh, worship leader at a church while I was in seminary. That was what I uh, did in the church, much like uh, the men back here led us in worship. I would lead the songs, and, and one of the things that would sometimes lead me to a sense of frustration and despair was that as we were singing, and this wasn't at Grace, i got to clarify this, but as we were singing, I would sometimes see even the leaders, even the pastors at the church wandering around, laughing, paying no attention, talking out in the hallway, back in the room, not engaged in the worship of God. And during that time, I began to develop this deep conviction that the songs we sing are not simply a prelude to hearing a dude talk. It's an opportunity for us to sing the worship and praise of God. And if God has angels that do nothing but sing to him, I think it speaks to us to sing to him as well. To praise the name of God and to place a priority on his worship because he is holy, holy, holy. Forever past, forever future. So angels remind us to worship God. Secondly, they remind us that it's going to do both. Okay, secondly, they remind us that God loves us. All right, God loves us. God is deeply concerned with the affairs of humanity, and so he involves himself in the affairs of humanity, and often he does that through the angels. And then, of course, they remind us that spiritual warfare is real, but God will win. God will win. So that, again, when we get to the end of the story, Jesus sets up his kingdom. God judges humanity, and then he takes Satan and his angels and death itself, in fact, and tosses them into the lake of fire where they no longer will torment, lie, and accuse God's people. And yet in the meanwhile, we recognize spiritual warfare is real. Right? And so in Ephesians chapter 6, right before the passage we read earlier about our battle not being against flesh and blood, in Ephesians chapter 6, 
Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. The response to spiritual warfare is we trust God. We put on the full armor of God. We pray. We remind ourselves of truth. We remind ourselves of the gospel. We rely upon his spirit. We we heard that passage from 1 Peter earlier, that the, the devil prowls around like a lion seeking whom he may devour. There's another passage in the book of James chapter 4 about the devil, and you know what it says. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will what? Flee from you. In the face of the power of God, the devil turns tail and runs away. So that we see spiritual warfare is real, but God always, always, always wins. So again, angels demonstrate to us the character of God. God is great, God loves us, and God will win. So that as we move throughout the life God has called us to pursue, we recognize that he cares about us, not only that he gives us the angels to protect and serve, but ultimately the angels proclaim a message of eternal life and salvation, and they show us what God is doing in history, that he will establish his kingdom, set it up forever and ever, where we will join them with the song of the angels and sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was, who is, who is to come forever and ever. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. We are humbled and awed by your power. We often believe that we have strength, and then we see the testimony of your word about angels, these creations that you have made that are so much more powerful than we are. And we go, if they are that strong, how strong are you? Father, we thank you that you have not left us alone to wonder who you are. But you have spoken, as your word says, in various ways, at various times. And one of the ways you have spoken to your people is through angelic messengers. We thank you that you have angels who fight on your behalf and ours. Most of all, we thank you that we can trust your power, that you always win. So I pray that we will be strong in the Lord. Put on the full armor of God to resist the schemes of the devil. Let us worship you, submit to you, and trust you this week. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.